house that they'd been called to and depositing his acorns. The problem was is that they, he would drop his acorns in and they would fall down the wall cavity. And then he would bring more and he'd drill more holes and he'd have more acorns. And to the point that they were called in and they opened up the wall cavity a little bit under inside and they pulled out 700 pounds of acorns. There's a picture of one of their workers and he's positively swimming in acorns. Now, you know, everyone's an expert on the Internet. So someone suggested on their Facebook post that maybe it was a chipmunk or squirrel. And uh, the response was, yeah, you would think that this bird had stored food all over. Clear woodpecker holes all over the house, acorns stored all over the siding and trim, completely destroyed exterior of the house with all the holes everywhere. The bird was crazy. We actually saw him there when he was there putting more holes uh, in, that, uh, more acorns in the holes that he had created. Quite a mess. And yet... We're kind of like that woodpecker, aren't we? Hoarding our acorns in the hopes that we'll be assured of the future. Now, there's a place for wise planning. Don't hear me say otherwise. But how many holes do we have to drill to be confident that we'll be taken care of when hard times come? And yet we recognize that there are some things that you can't plan for. You don't see coming. It doesn't matter how much money's in your bank account. None of that matters. So what assurance will you have for the future? What assurance will you have for right now where you are or even that your past has been dealt with? Well, here's my theme this morning. The assurance of the Christian is rooted in the Lord's faithfulness. That is the greater assurance. And I want to talk about God's greater mercy, our glorious future, and our being guarded by God. And so first, his greater mercy. And I ended last week uh, at the conclusion of the sermon to say something like we are standing in and on and by the grace of God. We want grace and peace to be multiplied because Jesus's work becomes more precious. The spirit's leading is tangible and our joy in the father abounds in our hearts and lives. Remember, and I already said it, but in verses 1 and 2, uh, particularly verse 2, Peter has just told us that the Trinity has been at work, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to bring about salvation in your life. You're chosen before the foundation of the world, as Paul would say in Ephesians. But these elect exiles, known by God, sanctified by the Spirit, sprinkled by the blood of Christ, then what is the appropriate response? Praise. The appropriate response is praise and adoration to God, marveling, singing even, that God would do this for you. So it seems appropriate that Peter would start his letter after that introduction by saying, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a common formula in the, among the Jewish people that Peter seems to be using Psalm 68, 19. Blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. God is our salvation. Well, Jesus is the fulfillment of that salvation. He's the promise that is fulfilled. And so Peter's able to say, blessed 
be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul will speak similarly, use a similar form in 2 Corinthians, for example. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. 2 Corinthians 1.3. This word blessed is where we get our word eulogy. Now we think of eulogies only in the context of funerals, but you know what a eulogy is. is when someone stands up to speak well of the deceased, a good word, that's effectively what this means. God is, and it's here, and it's used to simply means that God is worthy of that praise. He's the one that we speak well of. He is worthy of it all. We don't proclaim this blessing because the Lord needs it. He doesn't need our good words, but he is the only one who is truly and completely deserving of it. Even the best of sinners that we might eulogize is a sinner still. But God is faithful in all his ways, and he's revealed his great mercy as the Heavenly Father who gives us his eternal Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's this title that's used some 30 plus times in the New Testament. The Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who rules and reigns over us. He is our Lord. He is the one who saves us. He is Jesus. He is the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one. And so the Lord's faithfulness can be traced from his promises to Jesus into today. And as he says, Peter, according to his great mercy there in verse 3, this word mercy has connection to God's character revealed in the Old Testament. The Greek translation of the New Testament, which is the Septuagint, uses the same Greek word that's translated mercy here when translating the Hebrew word hesed. Now, you may know that that's one of my favorite Hebrew words. It means steadfast love or loving kindness or great mercy. And here, that same word effectively is being used. Uh, One of my professors from seminary, Dan Doriani, says the opening verses of Peter that are steeped in covenantal language. Peter's already said that God elects and has foreknowledge of his people. His mercy is closely linked to God's name and covenant-making deeds. He shows mercy or steadfast love to thousands who love him. Exodus 26 and Deuteronomy 5.10. So that's where the Ten Commandments are. When he reveals, he says that he, that is he, that is compassionate and a gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love, that's hesed there, and faithfulness. So abounding in mercy, abounding in love, abounding, abounding in faithfulness. And if your assurance is based on something in yourself, then there will be trouble. We will struggle to feel assured in our Christian walk as we'll never know if we're messing it up. But that's not what this passage says. It says we're grounded in God's great mercy. He sees our helpless state and he sees our misery that stems from our willful disobedience. And because of his great mercy, look what else it says. He's caused us to be born again. That is, we have a new and sure identity and a new hope for each day, a bright hope for tomorrow as we sing. 
in great is thy faithfulness. And strength for today. You see that that goes on. Born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The implication here is it says that it's living. The living hope is in the present tense. That you're born again to a living hope right now. Is that this hope is unaffected by your circumstances. Or the death of your lesser hopes. You ever feel like you're drowning? Drowning in a a list of to-dos. Drowning in emotions and, and wondering you know, if you'll ever feel right or the same, drowning in your physical maladies. Well, sometimes we do feel like that. And there's a famous uh, study that was done in the 50s and 60s. Kurt Paul Richter from Harvard and Johns Hopkins, he was a psychobiologist. He had major contributions to the fields of biology and psychobiology, and, and he knew that Rats could si- swim for a long time, so he wanted to study that, and he put them in a, in a tank, a small tank, and, uh, to see how long that they would swim. But when he placed them in these small, confined buckets of water, they quickly discovered that there's no means for them to go anywhere, and so they would just give up, and they would allow themselves to sink after 15 minutes or so. So one of the things that he discovered is that these rats would feel hopeless and helpless. And part of what he would do is he would take them out of the tank and allow them to rest. And it would demonstrate to them that there was a way out. And so then they would be put back in the tank. And many of them swam for as long as 60 hours. They would just keep swimming because they had some hope at that point. We may feel like we are drowning, and we are far better than rats in an experiment. We are beloved children of the living God through Christ, and He's shown us His rescue. And it's not just a temporary thing where we're pulled out of our circumstance and then we're going to be thrown right back in. No, we're being shown that we have a rescue now, and there's a future ahead of us that's even better. That we're made alive. And so yes, we can, Disney, keep swimming. But it isn't because of us. It's not because of our strength. It's not because of our ability. It's because of the hope that has been placed within us by God's great mercy. And when you're assured of God's past faithfulness, then you can believe in the glorious future that is ahead of us. Other hopes will diminish and fade, but the hope of God's great mercy does not. And so this hope and assurance matter for our days to come. And we are living in light of God's promises. And you see that this being born again to a living hope comes by a means. And that means is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection is central to our glorious future. Peter understood that, didn't he? We've talked about that. Peter, who had denied the Lord, but was restored by the risen Lord. Peter sometimes would say foolish things, then began to preach because Christ was resurrected. And Peter would lay down his life ultimately because he had this glorious future and he knew it well. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, without the resurrection, our hope is just a desire. 
Without the resurrection, our hope is just something we have to bring about by our own strength. Without the resurrection, there is no atonement for sin. There is no satisfaction of God's righteous wrath and judgment. The gospel is incomplete without Christ rising from the tomb in new life. As, as I always do, listening to music while I worked and this song popped up, and I never heard it, but it, it goes back to the 50s and 60s as well from this uh, black gospel group, the Swan Silverstones. And they were best known for a recording of Mary, Don't You Weep, a well-known spiritual. But this one caught my attention, and here's the title. If you believe your God is dead, try mine. And that's how it goes. The song is mostly that. If you believe my, your God is dead, try mine. He is alive. And it's a, it's a wonderful, upbeat song. He's still alive. He's still alive. Yes, he is. And that encouragement, that hope, that reminder that because Jesus is still alive, it changes the whole equation of eternity for us. But maybe you're not certain that you can hold on to what God has given to you. Will you be able to keep things intact? Well... If you ever feel like things are just breaking around you, right? Something breaks down at home, and then your car breaks down. And let's not talk about the printer, the home printer that never works. Right? It can just feel like that sometimes, can't it? Right? And so when that happens, you begin to wonder, can you hold everything else together? Left and right, things breaking. But you see, your glorious future is a gift. Look at verse 4. Born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. More Old Testament ideas that Peter's bringing forward. Israel had an inheritance, and they, they took possession of the land that had been promised, but they also lost it. But there's actually a better inheritance, that that inheritance actually was pointing to and that we're moving towards. And what do you do for an inheritance? You receive it. It's a gift. It's not something you work for. It's because you're a part of the family in most cases. Well, if you're a beloved son or daughter of God adopted because of the grace of Jesus Christ, then you have this inheritance. And we're made heirs of the blessing of God that are kept in heaven for us. It's a trust kept by God. And this encourages our hope because the inheritance is unlike anything in this world. It won't break and it won't break down. It's imperishable, untouched by death. We'll, we will all face death. That's a reality. But our gift and our future is imperishable. It's undefiled. Our inheritance is free from corruption or blemish. It will not and cannot be stained by the evil of this world. It won't break. It's unfading. Our inheritance is incapable of fading, unlike the bloom of a flower which wither and fades. This beauty is unending. What is your most prized possession? And what do you fear the most? I think these are questions that, that this passage brings about. Peter's getting at. These Christians were, that he's writing to were facing 
persecution, trials, uncertainty. And there's a very strong possibility that they could lose homes or jobs. They could be separated from families. They could ultimately lead their, uh, lose their lives. And things might be breaking all around them, but none of those things were their most precious possession. Because if you, brother and sister in Christ, are a follower of the living God through Jesus Christ, then your most precious possession is that relationship. And it cannot be taken from you. It does not break down. You cannot lose it. You have a glorious future no matter what you face today. No matter what you feel in this moment. And just to bring it all to a close, and not a close here, because Peter's going to go on, and we'll look at the next section next week. But he says that this is guarded by God. So if, if the words imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you weren't, weren't enough, here it is, verse 5, who by God's power... You who've been born again to a living hope through Jesus Christ, you've given this inheritance or being guarded by God's power. You're being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Our inheritance is kept in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy nor thieves can steal. And should we continue to fear and doubt whether we can be assured of God's faithfulness, we have this promise. And Peter's using a military term here when he says guarded. It's speaking of the protection and guarding that's done by soldiers when something's watched over. Well, I, I can't think of anyone better than the Lord to watch over something on my behalf. The Almighty One. It implies that while there may be difficulties and trials, and we'll see that more next week, It's a powerful reminder of how we're being kept by God's power. Creation, redemption, the incarnation, resurrection, all of these declare the power of God, and there is nothing more powerful than Him. So though we struggle at times, ultimately we're kept by Him. Our blessed assurance is Him. Our hope is not in vain. And this is through faith. That means that we receive this assurance by trusting in God. By being reminded of who God is and what he has done and what he will do. And we live in what we call, and you've probably heard me say this before, the already and the not yet. We are saved now. If you believe in Jesus Christ as the atonement for your sins, as your satisfaction, as your Lord and Savior and all that that we speak of, then you're saved. And yet we are awaiting the fullness of that. It's the already, but the not yet. And that's what Peter says here. Ready to be revealed in the last time. One day we will see all that God is doing in its completeness for us and for one another. And we will know that our hope was not in vain. We will know that our assurance was always the Lord's faithfulness, and it is real. It's your shield while we wait. Some of you may remember the now ancient sitcom, The Jerry Seinfeld Show. 
And there's a, a scene that captures the absurdity of, of kind of everyday life for us. And Jerry approaches a rental car desk. And he says, I made a reservation for a midsize. So the agent says, okay, let's see here. Oh, I'm sorry. We have no midsize available at the moment. Jerry says, I don't understand. Do you have my reservation? We have your reservation. We just ran out of cars. Jerry says, but the reservation keeps the car here. That's why you have the reservation. The agent says, I think I know why we have reservations. Jerry says, I don't think so. You see, you know how to take the reservations. You just don't know how to hold the reservation. And that's really the most important part of the reservation, the holding. Anybody can just take them. Right, reservations are supposed to give some assurance, aren't they? That when you walk up to the counter, that your car is going to be there. But all too often we find this is not the reality. But the Lord is altogether different from beginning to end. Great is his faithfulness. If he has said there's a reservation for you, an inheritance, it will be there. Waiting. Because he's holding it. That's where our assurance can take deeper root. Edmund Clowney shares in his commentary about the play by Jean-Paul Sartre, the philosopher, No Exit. And it's his own vision of hell. And two women and a man are doomed to this room um, that they're, they're just, they have to be there forever. Uh, they s- without sleep, and here's the weird part, without eyelids. And they all enter with these stories, these pretensions of who they are about their past. And the man pretends that he was a hero of the revolution, of the French Revolution, And in reality, he was killed in a wreck when he tried to escape after betraying his comrades. And the women have their own sordid lives and stories. And in this room where they can't exit, they can't sleep, everything becomes revealed. Nothing's hidden and nothing can be changed. And this imagination, uh, you may have heard the famous line, hell is other people. Um, which is sometimes said in jest. That's where this comes. But the real punchline of this play is this. The line, you are your life and nothing else. And if that were true, and it is true for some, there would be no assurance. There would be no hope of heaven. There would be no thought that there was something better for us. But it is not true for us in Jesus Christ, for we are in his life and he is in ours. And that changes everything. So, if you find yourself feeling in exile, even from your own emotions or your own circumstances, look to Christ in the assurance that he provides. Look to our Lord and ask the Spirit to remind us of the faithfulness that is great. Great is thy faithfulness. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that there are new mercies for us every morning. They are great. And you are leading us into a glorious future and reminding us that you are guarding us for what is to come. Lord, we pray that you would work in and through us for our good and your glory. And Lord, we thank you for your mercy. 
your kindness, your love. Lord, help us wherever we may be, whatever we may be facing. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.